What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of books that have come out this week, the last week of the year. But also, we are going to be revealing our best original graphic novels and trade collections of this year. Towards the end of the podcast, in no specific order, just some things that we are recommending. I'll also mention on our live show this week, we talked about our top 15 comic books that came out in 2022 that were ranked. And oh, they list. were ranked. Oh, they were ranked. Yeah. And it was a good list. So definitely check that out. But why don't we get to it? Because we have a lot to talk to on the podcast. Again, we're going to talk about the best graphic novels of the year towards the end of the podcast. But for new books, big one to kick it off. Timeless number one from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Greg Land, Jay Leistein, Patch Zercher, and Salvador LaRocca. This is a book that is focusing on Kang and giving us hints and teases about some of the big events that are coming forward in the Marvel Universe over the course of the next year. This is a book that my son saw the cover of and said, oh, that looks interesting. Hey, that's proof positive right there. Well, let me say, I think he's right because I found this to be interesting. I like Kang as a sort of a main character here, especially given Kang's new focus in um, the larger MCU. It's sort of nice to get a little bit more um, inside the Kang world. And I think I, I'm a big Jed McKay fan, have been for a while. I think Jed does a great job here of finding an interesting premise for Kang to be obsessed with and then showing off how Kang is a badass, but also is extremely vulnerable because he's a little cocky. Pete, you seem uh, like you don't want to say anything about that. I, yeah, I mean, this was just like he's looking for a second and I don't know. Don't why. you ever want a second, Pete? A Dude, missing would... second? I, you know, sometimes it's important. Those key seconds are huge. You know what I mean? But yeah, uh, yeah I was just kind of like uh, not sure what's going on. I loved what they did with Kang in the kind of movie slash TV. Uh, but the, this, I was just kind of like, what is happening? I love the end and I love the spoilers, but the doom move there. So that was pretty cool. Um, but uh, other than that, like, you know. This is uh, so uh, I'll throw out two things here. The I generally like this book. Like you said, Jeb McKay is really good at writing this sort of story. This is a good tease for the Marvel Universe. It sets up these Arthurian superheroes that are working against Kang to try to figure out what this missing second is in the Marvel Universe. It's a key to some sort of quest. There's uh, some sort of prize at the end there and there's a secret masked man that is behind everything and a tease that he is going to be revealed so there's a lot of mysteries that are being set up i'm happy to follow them i do think some but, of the fractured timeline stuff that we get in here where kang is jumping through time and he sees different things from different books some we've already seen some we are going to see i was like I don't know if that necessarily works here. Like, this is a very typical preview book type thing. Yeah, that's, it works It story. works every time because it's a Does little it? tease. It's a little I tease. Yeah, but what do you mean mystery? It, there was like, it was clearly Doom, a little figurine of Doom. So it had to be Doom, right? No, no, no. It wasn't Doom. So at the end, we get this mystery figure. This guy who's created this new Knights of Camelot super team is has a bunch of chess pieces. And the yeah. implication is he's taken down Kang 
Next, he's going to take down Doom. He's probably going to take down the other big villains of the Marvel Universe. It was Doom because so wait, Pete. In this world, you're saying Doom sitting there and he has a little version of himself that he's playing chess. Dude, he has Doom bots everywhere. What do you mean he has versions of himself all over the place? That's that. I will say that is a fair point. But Pete, do you have a tiny little chess Pete? That you're like now, Chess Pete will. I'm take nowhere him. near Doom's. Like, don't put me in that league. Chess the, Pete goes to Subway and orders a meatball <laughs> sub. Check me on, on the bet of what Pete was saying earlier, though. And this is very much on me and not on the book. But I keep getting hung up on with these Kang books. And this is the same thing with I think Chad McKay wrote the previous Kang mini series that came out as well. I'm reading them, waiting for them to turn Kang into Jonathan Majors, which should be, of all the characters in the Marvel Universe, the absolute easiest thing to do in the world. And frankly, (laughs) spoiler, when in the middle here, when this masked guy stabs Kang, it was like, well, killed Kang, stabs him straight through the heart. And Kang's like, I was like, okay, he's going to take off his mask and he's going to be modern Jonathan Majors and be like, I'm Kang. And then we can kind of move on from here. But instead, Kang's like, well, I'm, I'm still alive. And I was like, why? Why are you having this guy that looks like Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., still alive? Let's just do the thing where we do the movie thing so he looks yep. like the guy from the movies and then we can move on. Come on. I mean, that's fair, but I think that that's it's hard to criticize this book sure. for that Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. No, that's this why book, I said it's on me. It's on me. Yeah, th- this book shouldn't be burdened with that task. That's a larger editorial thing that they probably should do if they want to line up their um, their TV. Line and movie, it up. Uh, line it up with their comics but i think this story stands alone as interesting without that totally agree again it's on me and my personal thing that's hanging me up while i'm reading this stuff but as itself it's a good story i'm interested to follow it and see where it goes next up the sandman universe dead boy detectives number one from dc comics written by porn sack pinishot art by Excuse me, Jeff Stokely. This is following two ghosts that solve mysteries. Here they get embroiled with some other ghostly mysteries. I thought this book was great. How did you guys feel? Yeah, I mean, this was like, uh, first off, like some amazing uh, covers on this. Like the uh, collector in me was itching. Uh, the the one with the, yeah, the blue floaty one. I mean, she, that was Do you so think it's cool. like a, a rash or do you think it's something else? No, I'm saying that uh, sometimes when I see something really good, I want to go out and spend extra money to buy uh, to buy it, you know. And it's, uh, but uh, you know, sounds like poison ivy to me. All right. Anyways, I'm highly allergic to poison ivy. So uh, believe me, don't. I know. And for those of you listening, one time I think we were still doing a live in person show. Pete was like, "Hey, I can't make it tonight. I have poison ivy in my throat." I was like, "Yo, that's not possible, dude! I got poison ivy so bad one time I couldn't open my eyes. Like I was oh. blind for hours. It's, it was fucking I'm insane. Ter- it scared me about it. Again, I'm not that allergic to it, but I. But this was tangle. such a, a great ish. I mean, I I loved it. Uh, Two great characters, like so cool, so fun. Love the style, the vibe it had. It just such a good first issue. I, I was just so excited for more. Um, and then at the end, the touching uh, Kevin Conroy thing got me all fucking choked up. I mean, Jesus H. Yeah, that's not really the story. In the comic oh God, come out! It's in the uh, comic, motherfucker. 
I um I like this as well. It's interesting. The Dead Boy Detectives feels like it's always like them relating to living people. So to put them in this first issue as like hanging out with some ghosts, um, and I believe very specifically exploring um, ghosts from Thailand or from Thai mm -hmm. culture, which I thought was an interesting like educational side of this and like putting yeah. new ideas on the uh, old Dead Boy Detectives. I thought was really cool. Yeah, there's a real sense of melancholy that pervades this book throughout that I think is very unique to the comic book. Yeah, the experience. vibe of it. Yeah, it's great. Book of Slaughter, number one for Boob Studios, written by James the Fourth, art by Werther Daria. This is a essential issue if you've been following Something is Killing the Children and House of Slaughter, because not only does it push the overall story forward, but it actually uh, really for the first explains. time. explains. Yes, it explains everything in text. Uh, it's all right there. Which I really appreciated. Like, I, I, I like this universe. I've really enjoyed the House of Slaughter book. Um, it feels like that's that was really moving through story in a good way. But this lays out sort of the whole world in a great way. This is truly essential reading, and, and it create it really solidifies a universe that is really interesting and exciting and like a sort of adult version of like the Harry Potter houses um, in uh, the Harry Potter world. If you're a fan of that, this is a great uh, deadlier version of that. And uh, SDBR, bro. I mean, this is like uh, unbelievable. The, you know, even before each kind of like uh, paragraph of description of the artifact or, or house kind of symbol, just unbelievable artwork. You don't get a lot of action, but man, you get a lot of answers and it explains a lot that we have learned along the way. Yeah, and just to be more specific about it, it follows this character who is in the House of Slaughter who wants to go from being a white mask to a black mask. And over the course of the book, she looks at the Book of Slaughter and it lays out the entire origin of the Order of St. George, what the masks are, how they work, how they all work together. But it's fascinating because we've been living yeah. with this for years at this point. So to really understand what all of this is laid out very clearly is really cool. And we've got a little bit of this information in the House of Slaughter book, but to have it all laid out sort of uh, paid, literally page by page, I thought was um, great. Murder World, Spider-Man number one from Marvel, written by Jim Zub and Ray Fox, art by Fareed Karami. This is the second issue, despite the number, in this Murder World saga where Arcade is essentially creating a squid game of his own in the Marvel Universe. There's a bunch of Marvel heroes, specifically Black Widow, who are trying to track him down, while a... Uh, a couple of hundred regular people there was a mutant to the first issue but he was killed almost immediately in a twist are trying to work their way through this i will mention that jim zub i believe i believe I he hopped into our did he send us an email or did he hop into the youtube comments um, uh, i think it was on twitter uh, oh it was on twitter that's right he let us know that he actually had this concept before squid game Squid Game just kind of like oh. oiled the wheels a little bit to let them do this concept. And that made me feel, frankly, a lot better going into this issue. I had a very fun time reading this, and it works really well. I, uh, it's another sort of sneaky crossover um, in a in a good way where it's a series. Of, it's going to be a series of number ones, um, but all following these characters who are lost in this murder world. And this one, the Spider Man ness of it isn't. There's no Peter Parker here, no Miles Morales. It's just Spider Man um, LMDs are out there trying to kill our contestants who are trying to make their way through murder world for a huge cash prize. But a lot of great twists in here, and um, start we get a character that doesn't um, die at the by the end of the issue, so that's exciting. 
And also the Spider-Man theme song joke was fun. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I really liked about this and that we could move on is one problem that I always have on our arcade, a character that I really love and enjoy in the Marvel Universe is his business plan makes no sense because the way that we usually see him is he's been hired to kill the X-Men and he brings the X-Men in and they shut down his operation. And next yeah. time we see him, he's been hired to kill Spider-Man and it doesn't work and they shut down his operation. And the question is, how does he keep operating these billion dollar theme parks when none I, of I've them always, ever work. I've always looked at him as sort of a Willy, he's Willy Wonka. He has right. more money than anything, and he's just like, here's what I like to do, murder. But he never really murders anybody. So to have this thing where it's clear he's had this squid game go on multiple times, tons of people are tuning into it on a live stream, actually legitimizes the concept of arcade in a way, and presumably he's going to be shut down by Black Widow and company, but... I guess we'll have to see what happens. So far, Are you saying spoiler, Will- dude. Whoa. You're saying Willy Wonka was a much better arcade than arcade because he like got those kids killed? Yeah. And Charlie the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> You've got a golden ticket to murder world. John Stewart, The Emerald Knight, number one from DC Comics, written by Jeffrey Thorne, art by Marco Santucci. This is actually, I believe, Tooch. providing an ending for Jeffrey Thorne's run on Green Lantern, the jump between two stories. One of them followed John Stewart and a bunch of lost lanterns in a very far off area, fighting some overwhelming universal threats. So we're getting the end of that story here. Given all that, how did you guys feel about this issue? Well, I was really impressed by the collision of different art styles in this book. Um, it was really cool mixture, and uh, you kind of get like the old timey art with more modern stuff. You even got some pirate stuff thrown in there. Uh, great to see John Fa- uh, John Stewart, one of my favorite Justice League members. But it's also tough because I'm so spoiled by you know Far Sector that it's like you know don't give me Green Lantern. I want Far Sector. Well, let me say this: this had some far sectorness to it, though. I think yeah, of all the references. Green Lantern books, well, it just felt like it was like a story that was willing to just be outside of the the regular Green Lantern world and really have take some larger swings and deal with some more interesting stuff. Which is what I I like about the Green Lantern stuff. We've all the spectrum; everything has really like locked down. Um, sort of the mythology, but I love when we extend out, like we uh, used to do a lot in some of the um, Kyle Rayner stuff where we got into some genre stuff, fantasy, deeper into sci-fi and what Far Sector was, where it was like full sci-fi out in the middle of nowhere storytelling. And this feels like it's in that vein. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, number one from Boom Studios and IDW, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Dan Mora. In this issue, kicking off of the surprisingly great first series, the poor Power Rangers and Turtles are just hanging out, having a good time, when, of course, a new enemy arises. Pete, you were jamming out to this. Take it away. Yeah, this was a fun team up. I love Leo talking to the Red Ranger about how frustrating it is to be a leader and and with his team and different people kind of like interacting. It was such a nice moment for them. Uh, Man, uh, what a twist here. We have Casey turned to the dark side. Uh, I I, I thought this was a ton of fun. Some really great art. Uh, I think this was such a cool the mashup of these two kind of teams. What I like about it is they really, they don't just put the heroes together. They really mash up the villains as well and sort of crash yeah. the universes together, which I think works really well. Um, and all the turtles get to be friends with a different Power Ranger. 
They paired him up. <laughs> they, they did. Paired him They're up. having a nice time. And I want to see them all kiss. Mm. The Amazing Spider-Man number 16 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Ed McGinnis. This is continuing the Dark Web storyline here. We've got Chasm, a.k.a. Ben Riley, taking it directly to Peter Parker himself. I, I've said this before about this. I can't believe how, in a good way, goofy this crossover is. And I have such fun reading every single issue. This not only has great bits throughout from a scooter that can talk, that gets knocked over in the middle of the fight, who's just complaining about like, please pick me up. What are you guys doing? Leave me alone. To the end of the issue where Peter Parker ends up in hell. It is uh -huh. a very silly version of hell. This is a silly goof. I love that last panel. That was such a cool looking, the art of it, the, the, the characters in hell was such a kind of like fun uh, ending and twist and, and just the artist absolutely killed it. It was such a, a, a fun ending to that. Um, but uh, this is hard for me because I, I'm not a big fan of the whole Ben Riley evil twin bullshit. So, you know. You liked him when he was a regular twin? No, I just, uh, I don't know, man. I, you know, the evil twin. You don't things. like multiple spider people. I don't know about that. I mean, there can be multiples. I just feel like I've never read a Ben Riley story and been super moved or super impressed or thought it was good. Hmm. Uh, well, um, so this is well, just tough. I, I think I agree with you, Alex. This crossover is wild. We're going to talk about other books that that sort of are in this in the same dark web situation and it feels like it's almost like a postmodern or like a parody even of a regular crossover where it's just like so it's like mark russell-esque i think mm -hmm. in the writing of it where it's like all the stuff is talking and the characters are like i'm evil like but i feel like ben riley is like i'm evil he just keeps saying it. it's like <laughs> i know dude we know you're evil and then madeline Pryor is like i'm evil too watch but she's also sort of screwing around and like they're almost playing jokes on everybody in a weird way but then they're also like i will kill you so it's in the venomness of it all which we'll talk about in a bit like it's just a wild crossover so i I'm fascinated by it just from that aspect. It's totally unexpected. Tales from Earth 6, a celebration of Stan Lee, number one from DC Comics, written by Michael Luzlan, Mark Wade, Stephanie Williams, Becky Clunan, Michael W. Conrad, Kenny Porter, Colin Kelly, and Jackson Lansing, Zach Thompson, Megan Fitzmartin, Steve Orlando, Jerry Ordway, art by Lee Weeks, Kevin McGuire, Bellin Ortega, Pablo M. Collar, Carl Mostert, Juan Ferreira, Hayden Sherman, Anthony Marquez, and Max Dunbar, yeah! and Jerry yeah, Ordway. Now, of course... As we all know, Stan Lee is best known for imagining the DC universe. What exactly. if yeah. Stan Lee imagined the DC universe? That's how we all remember him. On the occasion of what would have been his 100th birthday, it's really good to look back on his most renowned stories, which are his takes on the DC universe. And that's what we're getting here from various authors and artists. Uh, let's talk about it. I mean, I know we read every issue of Stan Lee Imagines, just imagine Stan Lee Imagines. 100% the dc universe how do you feel revisiting these classic characters well i felt that, like this was a fun collection of stories i really like the wonder woman one uh has a great message at, at the end you know being a loving parent is enough you know yeah. uh also uh love the cat and canary by anthony marquez aka Boothman. uh just 
such a great job on, on the art there. It was so cool. Um, yeah, I mean, there's with a the collection, there's some hit and miss stuff, but I felt like there was enough hits in there. It's worth picking up. I mean, it's just funny, the idea to be like, well, Stan Lee would have done this or did this, and here's his take. And it does feel a little bit like, oh, he's Aquaman? Well, maybe he's made of water. How about that? And it's like, okay, <laughs> sure. And then we see that. So you it is see Stan little... Lee doing that? Oh, 100%. Uh, yes. Yes. All and, of this I, stuff, to your point, all of this stuff, and I, to be clear, I never read any of this back in the day because I was like, I would yeah. prefer not to imagine this. Thank you very much. Is every single thing is exactly what it's like. We had Stan Lee for an hour and here's what he came up with. You know, that, that, and that's what it feels like. And I will say they took those sort of slapdash re remakes of these characters and sort of like it is interesting and it does have the Stanley essential thing where it's like, well, their True powers believer. are also their flaws. And it's like, okay, that's what made so many of the Marvel Comics characters pop. Um, in, in When back then other characters were like, yeah, he's just a Superman. And so this is like a flip of the script where he's, uh, the Superman is this guy and he's sort of a jerk. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I usually like Superman sort of across the board. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, these are all really good teams working on this stuff, but it was definitely like, well, that was a non-essential event that happened back in the day. I don't know why we need to revisit this necessarily, but they put a lot of effort into it. I'll give a shout out in particular to, I think it was the Flash story was my favorite yeah. one in there. Uh, was that the one that Anthony did the art for? Or nope. No, he did the Cat and the Canary. Though. Yeah, oh, which was I also... That was great. Like he really channeled, uh, he really channeled like Darwin Cook very nicely Darwin Cook. in that story. Yeah, it's great. But the Flash story like had a really nice emotional hook to it, which I was very surprised about. That yeah. was the one that worked for me the best personally. I'll put the Wonder Woman. One. You like the Wonder Woman? One. There you go. Yeah, I mean oh, so there was good. emotional. I mean, the, I'm surprised you guys, as parents, weren't moved by that. I'm moved. I'm yeah. moved. How much more do I need to say about my movement, Pete? Well, you can move on to Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number two from Boob Studios, written by Jason Aaron, art by Alexandra Tefenki. This is following two characters at the titular end of the world who are ending up traveling together. One of them is a survivalist. The other one is living in a tower made of candy, essentially, over the past couple of decades. <laughs> and they team up. It's a clash, but maybe there's a romance that's going to grow out of it. I continue to love this book. How are you guys feeling? It's so sweet. Uh, it's just and a fun. fun, yeah, fun post-apocalyptic adventure. Uh, you know, STBR. I mean, this is uh, it's adorbs, but also enjoyable. A classic odd couple, survivalist, hardcore survivalist uh, versus regular goof. And I think we'd all be in one of those sides in the coming apocalypse. Yeah. There you go. Right? Or, Alex, are you trying to say you're a hardcore survivalist? I'm a pretty much hardcore survivalist. I'll eat anything. <laughs> no, that's a garbage man. You're a garbage. Oh, a garbage you are like a, a rat. Uh, really. I, I, not only do I love the plot of this book, but I think the art is phenomenal. Just very, SDB, bro. Yeah, very funny. Uh, character designs just there's a lot of montages that happen here that are really well done and really well yeah. paced out uh, great stuff next up miracle mad number three from marvel written by neil gaiman art by mark buckingham this is an issue that asterisk technically speaking isn't really huge dale and the reason i say that we've talked about this the past couple of times but just in case anybody isn't aware back in the day this team did a run on miracle man 
they did, I believe it was issue 23 and 24, and then the company shut down, and they had done all the pencils for 25, but it never got released. So if you've gone on the internet, you could probably find issue 25 in its original form, but it's never been published anywhere. So here, this is that issue 25, again, I believe I have my numbers correct, with Mark Buckingham redoing his art from the issue because it was never put out in the first place. So the asterisk is this is the first original issue of Miracle Man in decades. It is yeah. a remake of a previous issue that existed. Once we get past this point and continue the storyline, that's stuff that nobody has ever seen and has never been drawn. Um, but we've been talking a lot about Miracle Man, where it's going, how it's progressing, how we feel about it. So how did you guys feel about this one? Well, the meta-made stuff was a bit overly sexualized and a little weird, um, but it was a fun clash of art styles. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, I, I think the story here is like uh, boy goes out into the world. And so, like, I think that what you're talking about, Pete, is like – this boy is encountering uh, sex or I mean, there's no sex in this issue, but like, just like, I don't know, uh, attractiveness or like whatever that's flying around here um, in, in that first way. And I think the, the story is about like all of the miracle man that's come before as a uh, hanging over the head of this character as he's moving out and doing new things. So it has like sort of a transitional, like life transition vibe to it. And I, I'm i curious, like, you, like you're saying, Alex, this is the first, as we step into the next issue, that's when I feel like we're gonna finally know what it's about now. We know what it was about in the past, and this is sort of the last remnant of that. And we'll see how it sort of remixes to the future. But Mark and Buckingham's designs are great, as always. Great. Neil Gaiman writes really interesting characters. I don't know. I'm curious to see where this goes. Action Comics 1050 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Tom Taylor, and Joshua Williamson. Art by Mike Perkins, Clayton Henry, and Nick Dragota. This is kicking us into the next phase of Superman as we not reboot the line, but really revamp the line for 2023 the big move here and this is a huge spoiler is we get a memory wipe for the entire world superman's secret identity is restored in a brand new way thanks to none other than lex luther go ahead justin I, I was so surprised by this this is such a rip of the spider-man way mm -hmm. of doing this um and like i get why and i pref i'm happy this decision was made um, but I was really shocked by this happening in this issue. This was one of my favorite issues this week. This was such a great issue. I love this whole kind of uh, setup here. Philip Kennedy Johnson is killing the game. The art is unbelievable. This is such a fun kind of foiled Lex Luthor plan and in uh, and, and certain ways where Superman is pushed a little bit and then kind of like lets Lex Luthor have it. I I absolutely loved it. Um, very cool and emotional and moving. I was super impressed with this. Well, shouts to the Nick Dragota art, someone who I've loved. And to see um, him on this uh, on the Superman book in full color, I thought was really great. Yeah, totally agree with that. I also was a little thrown by the memory wipe thing. It felt like a very calculated plot thing. I also felt like 
in the first part of the book, when we finally got to that, I was like, this is Lex Luthor's plan. This is what they've been building to the entire time. But by the end, it becomes pretty clear that he has a lot more yeah. on his mind and he's working towards a lot more. So whatever the reasoning behind it, like all of these teams that are included here, and I'm curious to see where they take it now that Superman's identity is back in the closet. Well, I, I agree. Like, I like um, all sort of the gathering of all the stories of the year and sort of like a, a like, let's take stock, make this one big change and then move forward into the future. It was very cool. Yeah. The Roadie, number four from Dark Horse Comics, written by Tim Silly, art by Fran Galan. This is the final issue of this title about a roadie who is paired up with his daughter he never knew he had to fight the devil. It all comes down, of course, to a concert. Um, I thought this was a great miniseries. I had a lot of fun reading this. This is a world that I would love to revisit again. How did you guys feel? I thought this was really touching. It was fucked up and weird, but very touching. Great art, crazy characters. Uh, Tim Seeley is very creative and fun. Um, yeah, I thought this was a, a great book. I actually want more of it. I feel like it just got to a point where I, I think they could move into something new um, with this character. Like, I want more adventures of the roadie. It felt a little fast, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fair, but it's a really good concept. Very fun. Frank Alon's art is great and draws yes. some great demonic stuff in particular. Next up, Venom number 14 from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Brian Hitch. This is another dark web tie-in as Venom has been regressed back to his lethal protector 90s state and here is going after the X-Men and mucking it up with Sync as uh, Hollow's Eve, I believe, is the name of this yes. character. Mm -hmm. It breaks in to try to get memories back from Madeline Pryor. Just to mention on reading order, the order that we're talking about them is the order you should read them. Go from Amazing Spider-Man to Venom to eventually we're going to be talking about Dark Web X-Men. I will say, beyond the fact that Brian Hitch, of course, draws a killer Venom action scene with him versus Sink, this is the issue where the emotional thrust of this crossover really hooked in for me. Because yeah. this idea of an Eddie Brock who's like, had his memory wipe, been reset into his factory settings, is I think the phrase that they use here. But he is struggling with like, who is my son? What am I doing? What are you talking about? What is happening on here? Really made me understand that, oh, okay, that's that's the plan. That's what's going on with Madeline Pryor. That's what's going on with Ben Riley. They've both lost these chunks of their memory. They feel like their pieces are lost. And that's what they're trying to get back. So it's not a villain plan to destroy New York or get revenge on the X-Men or Spider-Man. They just want the pieces of them that are gone. And it was interesting to me that I got that through reading a Venom issue, um, which otherwise is a good uh, action issue. Well, and even beyond that, I think it's it's uh, more that the, a clone has been living their better life, uh, I, I think is part of it. Like, And I read these books out of order. So the emotional impact wasn't as, didn't hit as hard for me in this book, because I agree with you, this was, this was well done. And I, especially the amount of focus that's been put on uh, Eddie Brock's love of his son. Yeah. The central focus of the last Venom crossover was like, gotta protect my son and to this issue have it sort of taken away and watching that slip i thought was a really good emotional payoff to the last several years of venom story that we've seen yeah it, I, I i agree this was very there were some real touching moments here and they were kind of toying with venom but he, he, he kind of has a moment of clarity here or at least we understand the wants and needs a little bit better brains. so he wants brains yeah so it was just like one of those things where i felt like a little bit more connected with what was happening and i'm excited about 
what's going um, to then how it's all going to unfold. Do you think his tongue ever dries out? No, because like, it's out too much. Because mm. like no. my my sister in law had a, a pug that always had yeah. its tongue sticking out. Okay, um, I wasn't but sure. What they, you're not I'm thinking about you is when you eat pug. brains, it's super there. slimy and it, like it really uh, moisturizes it, the tongue. But you have to be eating brains pretty much on the reg if you're going to yeah. be moisture. Yeah, I mean, venom's pretty huge. you got to eat a lot of brains. Yeah. Do you think that's why he's eating so many brains? Because he's like, my tongue so yeah, dried it's dry. out. When I need you get brains. dry tongue, you got to eat brains, yeah. yeah. Do you think Listen. in an earlier story they were like, he was like, aloe, I need aloe vera? <laughs> Puts the lotion on the tongue or gets the hose again, I always say. The oh, Riddler, boy. year one, number two from DC Comics, written by Paul Dano, art by Stevan Subic. This is continuing a prequel to The Batman following the Riddler as the exploring and building up towards the central mystery that existed in the movie. I love the first issue of this, and I'll tell you what, I love the second issue too. I, I think what they're doing really effectively here is painting the actions of the Riddler as the hero of his own story, which leads us directly into the place that we find him in, in the events of the Batman. It's really well done. Plus, Stevan Subic's art is absolutely phenomenal throughout. Yeah, the it's amazing art. It's creepy art, but really amazing. Love the way Gotham looks. Love the panels using uh, the colors the way it does. Uh, you know, I'm not excited about this Riddler uh, at all. So you're not. Uh, no, not not even a little bit. Well, so you already this, met him. Yeah, but um, uh, the art for me makes this book enjoyable. I mean, I want to finish reading this and then rewatch the Batman because I think that's really uh, the best progression here. Um, and I agree, the art is fantastic. So many tiny little notes written on tiny pieces of paper. I love so a tiny note. That's what crazy people do, bro. I do but, it. That's what I'm saying. Plush number two from Image Comics, written by Doug uh, Wagner, art by Daniel Hilliard. In this issue, our main character has been thrown in jail after, I don't know, going to a furry convention thing and seeing a bunch of furries uh -huh. eating some people. And this issue, a bunch of furries eat some more people and try to recruit him. Um, this book makes me feel weird. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, well, Pete, why did you want this on the stack? Yeah. Um, well, I didn't put this on the stack, but since you're putting me uh, on the sure side, you did. did you say when you emailed, did you say put this on the stack or Pete want a snack? Because I, yeah, I, I think yeah, Pete wanted a snack. Oh, you read this uh, book and you wanted a snack. That's interesting yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, STB. Yeah. <laughs> you know me, this is crazy violent. You, you, I don't understand what? what's happening, but it has my full attention. Um, and uh, I don't know what's going on, but it's fun and interesting. Also, this idea of love at first sight, like that was such a weird, insane moment that I'm just like, I, I'm in. I don't know why I'm in, and I'm a little disgusted that I'm in, but man, I don't know what it is about it's the art, but man, it's impressive. It's very strange to me that Alex is sort of like, I don't know, I'm out on this book. It's making me uncomfortable. And Pete's like, I don't know, I'm in on this book. I like it. <laughs> I, I, because, it's also making recap. me uncomfortable. Let me just recap. This book sure. is mostly people in um, like big mascotty furry uh, type costumes, right. walking around scary looking in their costumes, and then taking their hat, the hats off, and then eating people. And then putting their hats back on and then just Here, like Here's the bloody. thing, though, Justin, you have to understand, there's no nudity. And that's the thing that makes Pete uncomfortable. 
No, nice. that's not. I mean, there's a, there's a Pete, lot of things. Pete there's is some... America persossified. Violence, okay. Sexuality, per- not okay. Persossified? Persossified. I think that's uh, that is a an accurate statement. There is some sort of like one of the furries is like sort of like in a bathing suit, right? Just like a sexy furry. How, what did you think of this, Justin? Uh, I mean, it it's one of those books where I'm. It, it just feels like like the main our protagonist is like, yo, this is fucked up, and I'm like, yep. you don't need to tell me, the reader. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm sort of like, what are we doing here? Is this are we gonna be on the side of the the cannibal folks or uh or what's the deal <laughs> the, the guy is sort of like i just put this costume on and now i'm here riding with the cannibals yeah wild stuff let's move on to one of my favorite issues of the week she hulk number nine from marvel written by rainbow rowell art by takeshi miyazawa and i'll just mention i do want to get into spoilers here because this issue kicked me straight in the gut like yeah. i felt in awful. the pants in the gut in the gut i was gonna say the nuts but i didn't want to take your thing pete um this is she hulk has been captured by these two characters who want to use her gamma to become perfect like her jack of hearts comes to save her here's the big spoiler here jack of hearts realizes they've been using his energy to get the gamma radiation and he has been normal he struck up a romance with she hulk and he of course is like well i gotta take my energy back to stop them and save everybody. And that's the point. For the first time in the series, She-Hulk breaks the fourth wall, turns, yells at the creative team, yells at the writers, is like, please don't do this to me this time. And like, I, talking about it, like legitimately my eyes are starting to well up a little bit because it is so sad and so heartbreaking and ties into so much She-Hulk history. I know I said this with the last issue as well, and I don't think this is purposeful. Well, I don't think this is purposeful, but I do think we talked a lot about, or at least Justin and I talked a lot about unmotivated fourth wall breaks on the She-Hulk TV show. Yeah. This is a motivated fourth wall break, and it works from an emotional perspective, from a textual perspective. That's interesting. Well, and I would argue, even beyond the the initial, like, version of the fourth wall break that was in the earlier She-Hulk series and in the TV show, that was played mostly for, like, the joke of it. This had a huge emotional underpinning to it that felt even like this is my favorite version of that. This felt like a super earned version of it. And that's why I really love that this series took the time that Rainbow took the time to really set up these villains to set up so much in the first eight issues here. And like we dedicated, I was it all of last issue was dedicated mm-hmm. to these villains. And then we see it and it pays off so well for because last issue I was like, these villains seem a little goofy. I don't know what we're getting at here with them. And it was worth it for this moment for She-Hulk. And it also made something that the this um, relationship between her and Jack of Hearts, it seems like something we're like, I don't know what this means, gave it a stakes that I think I didn't see coming and I really appreciated it. I, I love this art style, STB baby. Uh, but the, for me, the page trip wasn't as uh, well done as the TV show. I know that's controversial to say in front of you. Wait, guys. did you feel like she was damaging the comic when she ripped the page? Off? Yeah, I pulled me right out of it because I was like, no, nah, don't rip the art, bro. Uh, but uh, bro, bro. 
it caught me the wrong way. But I love the her and Jack kind of uh, stuff. I thought it was really nice. I also thought it was an interesting kind of reveal of the stealing of the gamma. Um, so I'm I'm getting more on on board with it. But uh, yeah, the the page rip pulled me out a little bit. Wow, interesting. There you go. Nice House on the Lake, number 12 from DC Comics, written by James Tynion the Fourth, art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. This is the end of the first cycle, I believe they call it, of Nice they House do. on the Lake. So Didn't not see actually, that coming. Didn't see that coming, and we probably should have. But yeah. they wrap up the main action of these characters who have been captured in some sort of area by their friend Martin, who is ostensibly saving them from the world, who has been burned by his master. Walter, excuse me. Uh, same name, honestly. Let's be honest. Very uh, different. Is a Very different letters. Nope. Almost nope. Same, Almost same, all different same letters. Same thing. Like, uh, introduce nope. me to literally any Martin who isn't also named Walter. Like, you could call them a also Walter named. and they'd be like, yeah, What's your funny. also name? <laughs> yeah. What? My also name? I don't have What's one. your I'm not also name? I'm not a Martin or a Walter. You can't walk up to a, wa- uh, a Martin Absolutely. and say Walter they don't and expect protest. Them to they look. got no fucking backbone, those guys. What are you talking about? You go up to a Walter, you're like, Hey, Martin. They'll be like, all right. Uh, apologies to all of the Martin and Walters <laughs> yeah. in the crowd. Alex is yeah. coming don't for you. Don't apologize to them. They don't you, deserve it, those worms. You, what the fuck? Come on. You guys Dude, if I'm uh, Here's a, the thing. Walter every Martin, every, right now, every Alex out. every Alex is a Fred. Also. <laughs> that's rude. That's rude. Oh, that's rude. Pete. Oh, me? Yeah. I'm Pete? Yeah, every Justin's uh, Pete. a Pete. Uh, <laughs> Not every Justin's a Pete. Every, every Jason a... every every Jason is a Justin all right, because we fair, all get that. Uh, anyway, what did you and... guys think about this book? I thought this was crazy intense, but such a cool uh, twist that I really enjoyed. Uh, beautiful art. STB to the max. Like, such a cool reveal. So well executed. And also that last page kind of like there's more to come kind of thing. add on there was really great. Sorry. I forget the sponsorship that's paying Pete to say STB. Is that, how much does that pay every time he says it? I feel, uh, Cause I, I know he's racking them up at the end of the year. Yeah. I'm just trying to sell t-shirts, baby. <laughs> Comicbookclub.threadless.com. Get your STB shirts right now. We do not get a lot of money off of that. Yeah. Super type bananas. You got to really want it. Um, I also like this book a lot. I feel like it has been a complex, um, like big, big palette uh, uh, sci-fi story. And it's really, um, really pushing that. The fact that we're going into a whole new cycle here, I think is really interesting. Frankenstein, New World Order, number four from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola, Christopher Golden, and Thomas Stagowski, art by Peter Bergting. This is following the adventures of a post-apocalyptic Frankenstein as he travels through the wasteland left over after the events of BPRD Hell on Earth, I believe, with a young Uh, girl. Long-term future, I guess. (laughs) But we do get some frog stuff going on here, so there is that connection there. Um, I... As a continuation of the Mignolaverse, I'm really enjoying it, even though I will say this issue, I wasn't 100% sure what's going on. What? Well, I, I mean, there, we're a little disconnected from Frankenstein for most of the issue. Like, most of the issue, we're following these frogs wandering around. Yeah. 
Wow. You hate frogs. Yeah, like, what's your deal? Like, we're we're with the frog people. We get to spend some time with them. They do that all the time in comic books. The frogs were a big part of the fight, but they were a little afraid. They didn't know what to do. My favorite issue of Avengers, I don't know if you guys have read this one, is the one where they spend a little time with the frogs. Oh, my God. (laughs) Throg is one of my favorite characters, so go fuck yourself. Yeah, all right. Back on this issue, I do Thank think um, it's setting up. I think it's setting up sort of um, a central um, uh, antagonist for them, where uh, we have uh, our main character, who's not Frankenstein, is mortally wounded in this issue and then brought back to life. And there's a character who feels that on the other side, the frog that I think um, uh, was uh, a part of that. So I think we're setting up a direct conflict that will be interesting to see how it pays off. I I was just going to say, like, if you like Hellboy, I think you'll really like this. It's a, you know, Frankenstein kind of taking the main kind of like brute of, you know, instead of Hellboy there. But he's he's a little nicer, you know, so it's a and also I really liked uh, the kind of using a little bit more colors and stuff like this. But I think it's a it's a really nice pairing with uh, Hellboy. Exterminators number four from Marvel, written by Leah Williams, art by Carlos Gomez. This is following the adventures of a bunch of women X-Men characters, all of whom have light powers, except for X-23, who has claw powers. And they are trapped by an evil vampire that wants to throw them in a glass menagerie of his own making. But not the Tennessee Williams play. Continues to be rude and fun, and I am enjoying this book. I agree. I like this series. The amount of um, wardrobe changes alone uh, are fun and hilarious. Um, this is the X-Men book that feels like it has the most energy right now. It feels like it's just do it, telling the stories that it wants to tell, as opposed to others that feel like they're caught up in some larger continuity issues. I I don't know what to tell you here. Like it's called exterminators, but it's uh you know it's a, a team putting on outfits and you know doing other things. So uh, I don't know, man. But you just liked when we were talking about plush. You liked it when people put on outfits. Is the problem that these outfits actually show too much human skin, and you prefer it if the human skin is completely covered? No, I just think it's very kind of. You didn't like it because they fall on a baseball game, and you don't like the fact that X Men. I love the baseball game. Yeah, I didn't like the baseball game. Shout out. I also didn't like all the talk about like you just like watching us pee. I was like, what is happening here? Oh, I thought that bit was very funny. That was fun. I'm glad. It's just a. It's a different tone. It's a different kind of vibe, and either you like it or you don't. But the art's great. Tim Drake. Maybe you just like it. Tim Drake, Robin, number four from DC Comics, written by Megan Fitzmartin, art by Riley Rosmo. Tim Drake is on the trail of somebody who has been killing folks in Gotham City, is specifically through old detective tales. We get a big reveal in this issue in terms of who is behind it and why. This book is great. R squared on there, baby. Come on. This is just unbelievable stuff. I love the story. Uh, the art is just, I uh, can't say the art enough. It's just, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I just love this whole world, this wharf living, this kind of thing that uh, uh, Robin I love is, a wharf. It's a fun kind of putting him in a different world and the art style kind of gives Very it a Very close tone. to the ocean. Yeah. It's, uh, fuck you, man. This is cool. And I'm having a great time. Stop fucking yucking my yum, you fuck.
I I wish I think every hero that we love should have some time on the wharf. Oh my god! You know, get him up to the ocean, have him take in the sea air, fish. I want to see my favorite heroes fishing. Yeah, you, hey, know? you know who had some time on the wharf? Deanna Troy. <laughs> oh man! Wow, I like you. You worked on the wow. roast of Jean Luc Picard, Comedy Central's <laughs> roast of Jean Luc Picard, right? Didn't pay much. Because they don't have money at that point in the future, but well, you get to it. use the replicator. It's sort of nice. The holodeck, couple yeah. of days in the holodeck, get to have some fun. Yeah. Um, I also <laughs> like this. I like that Tim Drake is uh, goes to his his own personal Bat family um, to for help. The Riley Rosmo art is excellent, and I love that. At, of course, R every Tim, Tim Drake story should have a an actual deep mystery at its core, and so I'm glad they're doing that. Damn them all. Number three from Boom Studios, written by Simon Spurrier, art by Charlie Adler. This is following the adventures of a cursing, usually drunk magician who is dealing with a bunch of released demons in, I believe, the London area, though, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure, but they have been taken over by mobsters and we're getting some fallout from all of that in this issue. Things are wrapping up very quickly in this series, and I like the pace of it quite a bit. Agreed. I, I think this... It, there's a lot happening all the time, and I really love this world. I love the way that um, the sort of demon as mafioso uh, way of threatening and killing other people um, is playing out, and um, our main characters are sort of like, ah, fuck this. There's very much a hellblazer energy to our main characters who are like mm -hmm. sort of um, caught up in it, but also just like, fuck this, everything's dumb. ST to the B amazing art. I mean, the use of color in this is just uh, really impressive. The beast animal stuff is is crazy. And it's my favorite part. Other than that, I have no fucking idea what's happening. <laughs> I will say this issue was a little harder to get into and follow than previous issues, the previous two issues. But at the same time, I think the story is very interesting and I'm curious to see where it goes. Harley Quinn, number 25 from DC Comics, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Matteo Lali and David Baldian. In this issue... What certainly looks like a Harley who laughs type character is traveling through the multiverse, trying to kill various Harley Quinns to become the ultimate Harley Quinn. She starts with old lady Harley and then travels back to the main universe where old lady Harley and regular Harley team up. I'll tell you what, I like this book. The art is very good. I was yeah. surprised how serious it was, particularly given the concept that threw me a little bit. I agree with you because reading it, I was like, well, this should be a joke. Everything about this is a joke. It's a parody of two things. It's a parody mm -hmm. of of um, all of the uh, the dark uh, universe stuff. Mm -hmm. um, is that the right dark multiverse stuff? Dark multiverse, and yeah. And old old man Logan style character, I was like, this is, should be all wall to wall jokes, but it was actually taken continuity wise very seriously. And then we get a reveal at the end that is also taken seriously when that should be the biggest joke of it all. Yeah, the amount of Harleys is crazy and over the top. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's weird that it's so serious. But uh, it's it's a fun premise. I'm hoping that as we it go is on. Fun. It lands it a little bit better. Yes. Uh, though that said, on the other end of the spectrum, the emotional stuff is good and digs into Harley. It's just unexpected because you're setting up a comedy preface and then delivering a bunch of drama. So maybe that's 
the biggest joke of all. All Out Avengers, number four from Marvel, written by Derek Landy, art by Greg Land. In this issue, as we have for the past couple of issues, our Avengers characters are in sort of a done-in-one adventure, but it turns out there's a manipulator behind the scenes who's trying to teach them various lessons. The Avengers have figured that out, so they are aware that they are ending up in these situations with a bunch of memory wipes and trying to figure out, okay, why are we being taught these lessons? What are these lessons? We get a big enemy reveal here. Um, I will mention also, and I'm not going to mention it on the podcast, but it was a bit of a bummer to find out who is behind this because comics are solicited three months in advance. So the ultimate reveal of who is manipulating them is out there if you want to find it. Um, we we are on a podcast right now. You said you don't want to mention on a podcast. We're, we're doing hour, a podcast. An hour. We're doing a podcast. He doesn't, right well, he's saying he doesn't want to spoil it. Is. I don't want to yeah. mention who is behind this. Because it's not okay, revealed in this issue. It's a no. future reveal. Because I got Alex... a microphone like we're recording this. This is a fucking podcast, bro. Wait, we're not just oh, talking as best friends. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like this is just our usual um, hang session uh, yeah. night, every night. Yeah, every night we get together for two fucking hours. <laughs> Wait a second. You guys are recording this? That's <laughs> fucked up. Why? These are I my personal my opinions. soul on here. Uh, yeah, this if, is. This if is I knew fun. this is a podcast, I wouldn't be talking about all this other stuff. This is uh, <laughs> this is fun, classic art. Uh, you know, I felt bad for the guy who died at, just before he asked out Spider-Woman. Oh, man. Dave, the That's... AIM uh, guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's... So he might not have been sometime. Dave, to be honest, but all names are clearly the same to me. Oh, my God. Yeah, keep drinking. Nice. Yeah. It's weird you landed that one. Um, <laughs> let me say, I, I like this mystery, but I feel like, and maybe it's time to move it forward. But like, if I was slowly, if I was like on and off being like, my memory just got wiped, I'd have a little bit more urgency on tracking down what was going on. <laughs> they, all the characters seem like they're just hanging out at Avengers, uh, tower, uh, or, or celestial, whatever they call it. Man, it's, like, I get what man. you're saying, but it's so fun though. All the bit with Hawkeye continually losing his clothes. Very fun. Very fun. Greg Land I, art. Perfect for this sort of thing and i agree like i the issue itself i'm just saying the overall story i'm like i would be a little bit more of a hard charger at this mystery if i were these avengers but i actually like the way um this feels like jason aaron's energy on the avengers has sort of gone into the dna of it and i really appreciate that because it does feel like it's big stories that are fun with a mix and match of different avengers DC versus Vampires, number 12 Here from DC go. Comics, written by James Tyne IV and Matthew Rosenberg, art by Bring Otto it. Schmidt. This was one of our top comics of the year, so of course yes. everybody must love it. We are all on board with this. Story. And let's move on to the next issue that we're going to talk about, which is... No, let's I go. Agree. Let's go. Justin, I know you were positive. Pete, you were negative. Debate. I'm very uh, curious, Pete, because like I knew that you were upset by this issue before I read it. And then I read it and I was like, I have some guesses, but I think this issue was a perfect extension of what was laid down throughout the first 11 issues and makes a lot of sense and sets us up for a lot more fun in the future. Okay. All right. Let me see if I can understand what's happening, right? So we have the vampires who are the bad guys. And then yes. we have the superheroes, which are the good guys. Yes, and, and the superheroes are otherwise known as DC, and the two of them are versus. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me also say a lot of the vampires are superheroes. Almost all of them, exclusive. <laughs> so Confusing. we're trying to win the day here, 
And I realize that, uh, you know, we have a little bit of a love entanglement here, which I very much appreciate. It's been some really touching issues, especially in Nightwing. So we get this kind of Nightwing Babs showdown, which has been building towards this last issue. And we should say Nightwing is the vampire king. Right. And so he's the one who has been spearheading bad, all of bad. this. Yeah, he's and the he, bad, bad. He, he's running everything. And Barbara Gordon and Harley Quinn have fought painstakingly into sort of the main boss castle. While right. at the same time, you've got characters like Grifter and Green Arrow off to fighting their own fight. Yep. You've got um, some other the folks. Gr- uh, the Green Arrow Supergirl. part with the arrows was really fun and amazing. Uh, the art is just bananas. This has been such a banger. The problem is... When you have this big buildup, you know, 11 issues of like, oh, my God, how are we going to win? How are we going to win the day? And then when, you know, you finally get the final showdown, like, oh, man, this is it. This is it. And instead of Barbara saying like, yo, you're wrong, bro. And this kills me because I love you, but I got to kill you because that's the right thing to do. She goes, nah, I'm going to join your team. And then I'm going to fucking say, I'm going to do it better than this fool who I just fucking killed. And I don't give a fuck about. And now I'm the fucking bad. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? No, you were supposed to, you're the good guys. You're supposed to win. I just didn't like the twist at the end and it really pulled me off the whole thing a little bit and gave me a bad taste in my mouth because I was along the ride the whole way. We were doing it. It was going great. And then uh, the rug got pulled out from under me a little bit and I was really surprised by the choice. I can understand the choice. You know, you love somebody, you can't kill them, but you're a crime fighter and you know what's right and wrong and you can't just let somebody suck your blood because you love them. So you're saying this story, which featured heroes being turned into vampires, it really bothered you when a hero was turned into a vampire at the end? Well, because we're fighting against that the whole time, not for that. Uh, I mean, I I understand. Like, I understand why that bothered you. But I think it was such a fun little turnabout. I think we expected this issue for, for Dick Grayson to be defeated somehow by Barbara. Right. And the fact that he was but also replaced because she's a vampire. The whole she thing didn't. is the vampires make you evil. And maybe she's still, we don't know. There are some vampires in this world that have been aiding the humans. I wanted her to fight him, not be like, oh. I'll, I'll but I think, I mean, Harley had it right. Harley was like, hey, he's influencing you. Yeah, exactly. That's part of the vampire power Stop set. doing that. When the crazy person is That's... calling you out for doing crazy shit, you know you're in the wrong. But Pete, that's what, oh, what the story was. That's probably that's, not applicable to this situation. Go ahead, Justin. That, yeah, that's what the story was. The story was written in this way to unsettle you, I think, and I think it is working on you. So I think you should appreciate that while also setting up that there are more heroes out there. Supergirl especially is ready to lead a faction. We got Green Arrow and Grifter. Like, yeah, there's having still a some lot of hope, fun. but I was just really, I had, I, I thought Barbara was going to do it. I was all. Let me say, like, maybe you this issue made you want to like tune in for some more. No, because you got to burn it that. all down. I was super mad. Maybe you're a vampire. Then. I think the main thing, which I'm kind of getting from Pete, and not to speak for him, but I, my impression was okay. This is the final issue of DC versus Vampires. Right. Instead, 
it's DC doing what I should have expected from a comic, which is, and the universe continues. Get ready for DC versus vampires too, if sales are high enough. Of course, is- that's what I love. That I love this book. I love that we get to do more of it. I love that the, the what it, unlike some other books, the twist was executed well, and I'm looking forward to how that changes the whole storyline. I guess we'll see. Dark Web X Men number two from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Rob Rice, Dukes. and. Rod Rice and Phil Noto. This is continuing the Dark Web storyline, of course, focusing on the X-Men, specifically the Summer Brothers are locked in limbo. As I mentioned earlier, Madeline Pryor is trying to get back her memories thanks to Jean Grey and Ileana, who she is tricking. And there's a couple of other X-Men things going on at the same time. This is delightful. There's a bit here where Madeline Pryor has hung a bunch of puppies around Scott Summers yes. and taken away his visor. And it's like, why don't you just open your eyes? Just blast a couple of puppies, why don't you? Very fun. I'm, I'm having a good time. And Havoc is in a Madeline Pryor outfit, essentially, from the mm-hmm. uh, past, which, which is happened also fun. in Inferno. That was they did yeah. that in Inferno, which was hilarious back then. But they're treating it as hilarious. What I think this is like, I I said this about the earlier book, like this is like a a parody or a postmodern comic where it's like crossovers are dumb. So we're going to do one where we just show how dumb it is. And this one's doing that. Um, But it's still a compelling story. And I like it. Uh, The the visuals in this were amazing. Like the Mr. Sinister dollhouse thing was really cool. The fact that Cyclops could be uh, shut down by uh, putting puppies on his face was the funniest thing to me because, like, I hate Cyclops, so that's hysterical that Cyclops can be stopped by puppies. Don't you love um, that he loves puppies, though? What? Or do you hate puppies? Oh, my God. <laughs> you wanted him to blast the puppies? He's psycho. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but also, um, the, the big-ass slap at the end was kind of funny. Yes, very funny as well. Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons, number three from DC Comics, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, art by Nicholas Scott. This is bringing, I believe, this phase of the Amazons history to a close. Spoilers Mm. here, though you know this from reading decades of comic books. It ends with the birth of Wonder Woman, Diana Prince. Spoilers, dude. Jeez. Well, that brings us up to that point. And I'll say this is the most beautiful and heartfelt rendition of Diana's origin I think I've ever read, ever. And I think that's down to the heart and imagination that Kelly Sue DeConnick puts in here, but also the way that Nicola Scott executes on the art, in particular the stuff in Olympus, which is stunning. We talked about this in our best comics of the year, but this comic is a triumph from first page to last. Yeah, I mean... uh... This is super tight bananas are turned up to 11. It's absolutely mm. gorgeous. I mean, this is such a impressive package of art, writing, heart, things we've seen a thousand times, but done so well that I, I was moved by it. It was just, I, I was so, so blown away by it. Is, it. is this an artist or a hardest? Ooh. You know, a little both. Um, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's epic God storytelling that 
eventually just comes back to a more modern version of the Wonder Woman origin, which is uh, beautifully done. This feels like a huge, uh, this is what people will look to for like, oh, you don't know, um, you want to learn about Wonder Woman's origin in the larger story? This is what you read from now on. Oh, you idiot. You stupid idiot. You don't know about Wonder know. Woman's origin. Hey, you don't know about Wonder Woman? Like for people who are like, hey, yeah, I'm I looking know. forward to Wonder Woman 3 in the movies and it's not going to happen. Hey. So this is what you read instead. Stop. Yeah, it's a good thing I have this book. Stop. Stop. You're crying. Doctor <laughs> Strange Fall Sunrise number two from Marvel by Tradmore with Jenny Eckwall in this issue. Some things happen to Doctor Strange and they're very beautiful. Take it away, Pete. Holy STB, Batman. It's worth it for the art alone. I mean, come on. I mean, this is tripped out amazing uh, I, I can't even with this art it is just uh, uh, i mean it also hilarious that uh you have dr strange who's accomplished so much is like hey uh can, can you be my midwife please i, I know i'm a doctor but uh, this is, it seems a little but oh just i uh, i just was staring at the pages and couldn't stop staring at the pages it was so fantastic it takes you back to some Silver Age Doctor Strange psychedelia. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, stories. Man. Feels yeah, like very, very loose, very fun. Um, it reminds me of a lot of the Doctor Strange stories that uh, we don't get a, a lot of anymore as Doctor Strange has sort of entered much more of the central cone of Marvel characters. Blue Beetle Graduation Day, number two from DC Comics, written by Josh Trulio, art by Adrian Gutierrez. This is following Blue Beetle post high school. He is now working in a restaurant. He is dealing with the fact that there is another beetle that is on the loose somewhere out there. This book is great. We talked about it the last issue, but this feels like a natural extension of what we got with the original Blue Beetle series and pushing the character forward. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Blue Beetle is the Spider-Man of the DC universe and like to get to actually see that starting to really play out while also incorporating some other DC continuity characters. I don't want to spoil what happens um, here, but it's, it's really fun. I just want more of this. This is a limited series, right? And I want this to be an ongoing series. Yeah. Triple Beetle action. Uh, such a great ish. Uh, just cool vibes. Really fun. Uh Feels like the Blue Beetle that I know and love. Let's move on to our best graphic novels and trade collections of the year. Now, again, these are in no specific order. This is not ranked or anything like that. Instead, we all came up with a couple of picks of things that we thought people should check out. They should be reading. If you didn't check it out this year, that are definitely well worth your time. So uh, let's just go in order. I'll talk through some stuff that we didn't necessarily talk about on the podcast, but some OGNs that I think are really worth checking out anyway for specific we're, reasons. We're doing a podcast. Yeah, yes, I, yes, I, what? Wait, when? Since when? When did we start recording this? No, Pete's been secretly recording us. These are all... So rude. So rude. You gotta got tell me how all you... over our houses. You're going to be happy when I put it out. <laughs> I don't think oh, so. Wow. It's Lonely at the Center of the Earth from Image Comics sure by is. Zoe Thorogood. We talked about Zoe's art over on Rain in the Stack podcast, but this is a solo graphic novel from her, and this is a gut punch throughout that completely reinvents and breaks down the comic book form. Essentially, it's a, co a confessional comic book about her trying to make a comic book and trying to figure out what her graphic novel should be about, but be warned 
warned there are ideas of suicidal ideation in here, about depression, about isolation. Um, it is, I found, frankly, to be blunt, very incredibly relatable at point, which is a word that she even makes fun of in here in terms of people <laughs> calling her stuff relatable. Um, but just in terms of format and execution and a raw emotion on the page, this is one you absolutely can't miss. Uh, this was, I think... I put it at the top here because I think this is my favorite graphic novel of the year. Oh, wow. So it's not order. You said there's no order. And then well, except for this one. This oh, is, I've just mentioned it. Like, if there's one you don't miss, don't miss this one. You're if the artist, two, man. two, though, I would put this one at, like, a number two, but, like, a loose number two. No. Uh, wow. After that, though, Ducks, Two Years of the Oil Stands from Trotting Quarterly by Kate Beaton. Kate Shouts Beaton to Obama. Rules. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he got it from me, I think. Like, I feel like I'm saying it 100%. first and Obama is saying it second. Yeah. Uh, but if you know Kate Beaton for her comedy comics, this has elements of comedy in here, but this is a true life story about the time that she went working in the oil sands in Canada. It's very much about how we work, when we work, quote unquote, like grunt jobs. But there's also some really serious emotional stuff that goes on here that like sneaks up on you in the middle. It's mostly a slice of life, but it does have bigger things to say about oil and our dependence on oil and our relationship with big companies and how they use people. Uh, really, really good stuff. Just steep, man. Yeah. And it's, it's big. It's like 400 something pages, but it's worth the journey to go in. It's a really just like a heart of the page type slice of life type thing. Next up, Clementine Book One from Image Comics by Tilly Walden. This is a spinoff of the Walking Dead series, and in particular, the Telltale games, where he followed Clementine as a kid. Those are, I will say, I've said this a million times on the podcast, but the Telltale games are probably the best Walking Dead thing, even beyond the comic book series. And wow. this is a YA graphic novel that follows an older Clementine. She's broken. She's beaten down. She ends up hooking up with this guy on his rumspringer who is traveling to the top of a snowy mountain. So there's a lot of white washes throughout the book that are really interesting. There's not a lot of zombies in there, but it has some very dark things to say, and it really pushes Clementine into new places. So particularly if you're a fan of the character, that's great to check out. The Night Eater, She Eats the Night from Harry and Abrams, written by Marjorie Liu, art by Donna Takeda. This completely surprised me. I really like Marjorie Lewis' work anyway, and Donna Takeda has some great... Uh, wait, is that supposed to be Sana Takeda? I think it is. I'm going to check with a little bit. Um, but has some <laughs> really beautiful art. Um, but The Night Eaters is very funny at the same time. It's about this family uh, who works at a restaurant together. Their mom has some weird demonic stuff going on, but it's definitely not what you expect. There's some great twists throughout. This is an awesome world. If you're into monstrous, but maybe found it a little too lore heavy and impenetrable at points. Oh, that's fair. That's a good note. This is much more accessible and much more fun. Um, really good stuff. Definitely check that out. Enter the Blue from Z2 Comics by David Chisholm. This is like, this isn't exactly a cop, but I kept thinking about Soul when I was reading this. It's about a Ooh. woman who doesn't want to play the trumpet anymore. There's this guy who she's a trumpet player friends with who really wants her to play and wants her to jam. He ends up maybe having a heart attack or something like that and falling unconscious. And she realizes what's happened is he may have 
entered this field called the blue that musicians, when they really enter the zone, enter. So like this alternate dimension. And it ends up in the second half of the book becoming this really awesome, fun lesson about Blue's history as she travels through the Blue to try to rescue him. So it's a good history lesson at the same time. Uh, and two more that I'll mention and then I'll wrap up. I, I enter the Blue a lot during our podcast. Uh, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Salamander from Burger Books by INJ Colbert. If you're a fan of stuff like Triplets of Belleville or Terry Gilliam movies like Brazil and others, this isn't exactly that, but it's sort of like light magical realism taking place in this fascistic state We where a young boy, his father is a very like Jacques Cousteau adventurer type character, disappears under the sea. He's said to live with his grandfather in this world where art isn't allowed. And so it's very much about like expressing art and how you express art. But in the background, there's these weird bubblings of how the state works. So really interesting. And the art in particular is very good. It's very French if you're looking for that sort of thing. Last but not least, Fantastic Four Full Circle from Henry Abrams by Alex Ross. This is Alex Ross reinventing an old Stan Lee, I think Jack Kirby storyline about the... uh, Oh my gosh, uh, Negative Zone. I was about to say Infinity Gauntlet. The Negative Zone and the Fantastic Four visiting the Negative Zone. It's very classic writing. It is Alex Ross like rewriting the whole storyline, but it works in all of these old storylines, Fantastic Four, that you probably don't remember or know anything about, but explains them in a very straightforward way. But the real triumph here is it's Alex Ross, but experimenting with his art in the way that I've never seen before. Playing around with it, playing around with the format, the look, there's things where sort of the colors are misaligned from the inks. So it really leads into the whole negative zone of it. This is one, by the way, I'd mentioned, I made the mistake of buying it on Comixology. Do not do that. Don't get oh, it wow. on Comixology. Don't get it on Kindle. This is one because of the widespreads. You really want to look at the details. Get it in the print version. So there you go. Uh, those are a couple of ones that I wanted to recommend. I think, uh, Pete, you're next. You had a couple you wanted to mention? Yeah, The Many Deaths of Layla Starr by Boom Studios, written by Ram V, art by Felipe Andrade. Just such a beautiful uh, comics, just so uh, such a touching story of death and uh, the struggle and and, uh, the kind of the the trial that the this character kind of goes on and it's really uh beautiful and expressive and so artistic in a lot of really cool ways um, one of our favorite books from last year truly yeah, yeah. got it's a great great trade definitely yeah and this is one that came out like mid-january very beginning of february something like that so it's one that if you did miss definitely check that out Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by uh, Bill Quist Everly. Everly? I think I'm, I'm saying Evely. 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 Sorry. Uh, yeah, this, uh, again, just gorgeous, amazing story, just super impressive uh, exploration of Supergirl in this kind of uh, futuristic world and uh, the trials and tribulations she goes through. Just it's- absolutely beautiful. Great fairy, almost fairy tale adventure uh, yeah. where uh, Supergirl is just on a big intergalactic quest full of ups and downs. Yeah. And then the six sidekicks of Traver, uh, Trigger Keaton, uh, volume one, Image Comics, Kyle Starks, uh, who we had on the show. Uh, and we yeah, I wish we about, had talked to him about six sidekicks. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because he brought it wow. up. 
Oh, okay. we didn't. Oh, we okay. didn't even have to bring it up, and uh, uh, he was right. It's uh, action-packed, time traveling, all sorts of crazy r- race stuff. It's just, uh, it's a, it's crazy fun. Uh, racing, by, racing uh, stuff. Just racing, racing yeah. with cars, not race stuff. Oh, sorry, I, I thought racial, I said that. not racial racing. Yep, uh, art by Chris uh, Schweizer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, anything else you guys want to add about this? <laughs> oh, uh, I, I love this as well. Yeah. Super funny. Um, yeah. Super funny. Really comic. funny. Yeah. Yeah. And Impressive. he mentioned this on the show, action, but, but also funny. Yeah. Exactly. The action is great in this. It was constantly surprising and a good mystery at the same time. I really hope people buy this because I want to see more. There's a promise of a sequel and there should be one. A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, Volume 1 and 2, Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Andre Lima Aguero. Um, Just one of those uh, just epic kind of stories that has so much confidence. It has this interesting pace that we're kind of putting things together. Uh, we're kind of with this uh, one main character for a little while as we kind of get to experience his life and what he's going through. It's just epic over the top and and really cool uh what you guys want to chime in on this i book yeah it is a really good book the art in particular is the hero to me here it's this hyper detailed style that Mm -hmm. definitely leads into the violence because there's a lot of violence going on here it's a very john wick style story but at the same time i think you know it's rick calming down and taking his time and focusing and not going absolutely wild, which is a very different mode to see it in. Very spare storytelling, not a lot of dialogue. And then my last one, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, IDW Publishing, story by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, and Tom Waltz. Um, uh, It's just one of those things where this idea was created way back in the day at the start of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they never got to tell this tale, and they're finally bringing this uh, to life here, and this was such a cool creation. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for me, was the first thing that got me hooked, so this was an amazing thing to revisit and kind of take a bath in nostalgia. Take Uh, a bath. It was just such a great revisit to some amazing comic creations and such a great idea. By the way, Pete, if you ever get a bad case of poison ivy again, make sure to take a nostalgia bath. Take a oh, nostalgia bath. It'll yeah, clean you right really, just like so uh, probably won't help, but I appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and especially if you got it, like that's when you get a venom style tongue rash. You want to really just like. Well, I don't, don't want to put brains in my tongue. You know what I mean? I'm not into it. No, put bra- No, put brains on your poison ivy. Uh, burns justin over justin. to you <laughs> uh great um a couple i want to wreck um carmen from image comics by Guillaume march um, yes. just great images um someone who uh, dies and their sort of um chance to pass through their life as a um, ghost it was a really really great series just the imagery is fully the lead here um the nice house on the lake volume one uh, we talked about this book earlier from dc uh jamestown and the fourth um, this this kicks it off um and sets up this world where a bunch of um sort of loosely connected people are brought to this nice house in the lake where they're slowly realized by a guy named the, martin right by nope i think it's walter um Either by way. a a person they were friends slash connected with named walter and they're at this house and they realized to their horror that the entire rest of the world has been uh, burnt and they have been rescued for a reason that they find out over the course of the story 
great, great series, great art, uh, really interesting sci-fi tale. Um, Batman Killing Time by Tom King and David Marquez. Um, I thought that this was just like a standalone book that was like, oh, a fun story. Um, we don't, and it, it kept cutting. It was Batman um, just fighting through a, a, a classic Batman villain uh, situation. But then we get all these flashbacks to uh, different time periods and historical events. Um, and you're slowly realizing this is all a mean, I don't want to say too much, but it all means something. And the dates and times are ticking down to something important, great action sequences, a lot of uh, focusing on henchmen in one issue that really uh, was a bit heartbreaking. Uh, great cross, uh, it's not a crossover, but a great standalone story. Um, the Me You Love in the Dark by Scotty King or Scotty Young from and uh, Jorge Corona from Image. This uh, was a, a a monthly that came out last year, but this was just a great standalone ghost story that I really got caught up in, and it really reads super well in the trade. Uh, New Burn Volume One by Chip Zdarsky and um, oh, uh, yeah. that's and also Jorge Corona back to back. Jorge. This was, um, it's about a fixer who uh, he works with, he fixes, he's a fixer for the mob, but also works with the cops. He's an ex-cop. Um, he's just solving these mysteries. Uh, just a great concept where you have this, uh, you have a note, Alex. Yeah, yeah, I marked that down wrong. It was Jacob Phillips does the art. Yeah, great, for Newburn, Jacob Phillips um, from uh, That Texas Blood, um, one of our selections for the end of the year books. Uh, but this this is a great sort of um, noir story. Uh, Newburn is the name of the fixer, and then his um, sort of sidekick working along with him throughout. Great, uh, that keeps getting pulled into the action. Made in Korea, a comic that Alex also loved uh, by Jeremy it's Holt true. and George Shaw. Um, that got into some I, I, I very also liked it. Okay, and P also liked it. So how about that? Uh, got into some big, intense issues um, that felt like it was going to be uh, just a look at AI and family, and then it got into some much more deeper and intense stuff. Yeah. Uh, and two more you wanted to mention, right? Black oh, Widow. I thought you were going to weigh in on. Oh, Made in Korea. yeah, no, I love Made in Korea. Like you were talking about, it starts off following the small android. It seems like it's a sci-fi corporate thriller that's going on but it gets into stuff involving school shootings in terms of identity and gender identity that are really fascinating and despite yeah. these big topics it ends up entertaining is probably the wrong word but fascinating to read throughout and it's just a really good well-written and well-drawn comic i was really blown Lord. away impressed by this one yeah, just two more. Um, Black Widow Die by the Blade, uh, Kelly Thompson, which I think capped Kelly Thompson's run on Black Widow, which got yeah. into some deep um, – Black Widow is sort of given this family as part of her uh, – her brain is rewritten yet again and sort of the aftermath of that. And, man, it was just a great Black Widow story. Um, uh, something that we've we've seen a lot of great Black Widow stories, but this one was just found a new emotional level for me. And then Homesick Pilots, uh, a comic that I loved. Um, this is the we third volume, it. but they're all they're all great. Um, just a great a story, a comic that sort of did everything at once, but still worked. It was ghosts, it was kaiju, it was like rock bands coming together. It was it's a it's a great series. 
Yeah. There you go. Those are some of our selections for the best original graphic novels and trade collections of the year. Definitely let us know which ones you liked. We always love checking out new comics. You can always let us know at comicbookclublive at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter or the Patreon Slack if you're on our Patreon. And that is it for this week's show. If you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash comicbookclub. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube coming out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show. Comic Book Live on Twitter at Comic Book, uh, excuse me, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast. This <laughs> is a podcast. It's a podcast. Is We're it? doing a podcast. Is it? Are we taping it? For this podcast and many more, until next time, we'll see you next year at the Comic Book Shop. 2023, baby, the year of the artist. Sit on crap, baby.